powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. I sincerely hope that you and your loved ones are doing well as we navigate this unprecedented season for us as an organization, us as the church, us as, frankly, the entire world. We're all going through the same thing at the same time. And that doesn't happen very often. Yet what we know is that unprecedented times call for resilience. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with Ed Goshen. Ed Goshen is the Vice President of U.S. Field Operations at Awana. You're also going to hear the first ever episode of this podcast conducted via Zoom because I, like I imagine many of you, have shifted most of my work to being done via Zoom. I say that just to acknowledge that we may sound a little bit different than what you're used to, but what I hope you hear from Ed is what I took away from the conversation. Ed is someone who has a perspective that I found incredibly valuable in these unprecedented times. As Christians, we are all called to make disciples. But for those of us invested in the lives of children, we are in a critical moment as resilient disciple makers. And I believe that Ed has lots of insight and ideas on just what it will take for us to get this moment right. We have the chance to raise up a generation of children will love Jesus for the rest of their life. No pandemic is going to change that. Ed starts the conversation with what he believes is a unique advantage that he has as we navigate this crisis. So thank you for listening to episode 21 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. I think I have an advantage, if you could call it an advantage. You know, I I just, I went through a a cancer treatment uh, here. I finished, I've been a year out and I'm doing fine and all that's great. Praise God. But, yeah, but, uh, and boy, I don't want to repeat that experience of chemo. That's not fun at all. But one of the real things that was just so real to me was that God speaks through everything and God's moving and everything. He could, you know, he could have, he could have snapped my cancer away just like that. But I, there were things he wanted me to learn. And so I, after going through that, I've, I've, I've tried to be more observant about those kinds of things and say, okay, God could handle this. God could stop this virus in his tracks. But, What's he want me to learn? So that's how I've tried to look at this. And so, you know, when I think about the, the, the coronavirus and, and the church particularly, um, we're, we've been forced instantly to do some things that we probably should have started working on 10 years ago, right? We, we, mm-hmm. are, we are engaging families online. Man, we should have started that a long time ago. Uh, some of us did. Some churches doing it at different levels of, uh, of expertise than others. So we, we should have done that. And so God has just sort of put us in that spot and now we're learning it. We're all learning it together. And, and, uh, I, I think that that's important. I, I do worry that there are, are some that might think that, um, that church is only about information and I can get it online now and I don't need my friends at church. And, and I think scripture clearly calls us that we're, we're supposed to rub shoulders with one another and encourage one another, uh, in person as well. So, um, I, I think there's there's just a bunch of things that we're just forced to do now. I mean, every every mom and dad in America is a homeschool mom and dad right now. <laughs> they didn't they didn't ask for it, but no, they are. no, we did not. Yeah, yeah. you know, and 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 how long in the church have we been asking parents to get involved in the spiritual life of their child? And instantly, every Christian parent in in the U.S. is faced with that. Some are picking it up and doing it, and some are struggling, and some are 
you know, not quite there yet, but, um, but I just think that God is putting us a spot where if we're, if we're paying attention, if we take our eye off of the struggle and off of the problem and ask ourselves, what's God trying to teach us? I think there's a, a lot of great little nuggets there for kids ministry. I love it. What I've heard in several people that I've spoken with, or maybe this is just what I've resonated the most with is there's been some voices out there that try to talk about the coronavirus and ignore the serious nature and the crisis that this is for us as a global health pandemic. Yeah. But there's a big difference between optimism Mm -hmm. and what you're talking about, which is just hope and the energizing opportunity that this crisis has presented to us as a church. Sure. So when you say that there's things that God wants to teach you, I would imagine that you've been, you've been in ministry long enough to know that there's probably a list that you're looking at right now of a few different things. So what are some of the things that you feel like God's trying to teach? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, um, I see families out walking down my street, you know, now they're very careful to social distance when they come toward each other on the sidewalk. And my daughter says, when you have four kids, everybody social distances around you because they're afraid you might be contagious. (laughs) But I see families out walking. Um, uh, my wife and I have, we have cooked meals at home and sat across the table from one another, uh, for two weeks. We haven't, we haven't eaten one meal out. We've just enjoyed one another. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think the fact that families are looking each other in the eye and just slowing down and having a few conversations. Um, I think, uh, you know, when I, when I think about the schedules that we ask our children to keep nowadays. Um, you know, my own grandchildren, they've got their schedule, they've got their ballet and their uh, music and then all the things that they do. And all that's on hold now. And they're, they're spending time with mom and dad, they're going out and going for walks. And they're, they're just figuring out how to how to be a family. And, um, and I, I just think that's, that's super, super cool to watch, um, to watch parents engage that way. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I have seen that I'm a little concerned about, because I do have concerns. There's some things I'm learning that I'm not thrilled about, but in, in the church, we're, we're much more equipped to, to quickly deal with uh, something such as virtual church in terms of the adults. We're, we're ready to do that. And we've been doing that probably, but all of a sudden now we got to do something for the kids. And it, it highlights that we're, we're a little bit behind we're behind on in terms of engaging kids and being ready to react and put kids at the front uh, of what's going on at the church. And uh, so um, that's something that I think we, that I'm seeing that I think we need to do a little, a little bit better at. So let me ask you about that because I, I totally agree. And I think that what I've seen in sort of kid content to put a very broad umbrella term to it is that so much of it is falling into the category uh, to use a page from the resilient book. Uh, so much of it is falling into the category of a coloring sheet, right? Where, right. where here's this thing that it is going to distract your kids for 20 minutes so that you can take a shower or do laundry or whatever it is, the thing that you feel like you can't do because your kids are on top of you. Um, and there's obviously value in that. There is obviously a purpose sure. in that type of, uh, product. But what we're talking about and what Awana in its in, entire history has been about, even if this is relatively new language for us, is about discipleship, is about mm-hmm. resilient discipleship. Mm-hmm. So when you look at this 
how the church is kind of playing catch up. What are some examples that you, maybe examples you've already seen or just things that you feel like more churches could be engaging in that actually reflect resilient discipleship as opposed to um, coloring sheets? <laughs> yeah, and I, I do agree with you about the coloring sheets, but what, here's what I'm worried about. What I'm worried about is, is, the, is the fact that we have the coloring sheet idea virtually is that because it's the best we could come up with an idea or is that what reflects what's actually happening in church? And I pray that oh, that's, that's not true. I pray that that's not true. I pray that what, what's happening in, in, in most every church is, is, you know, eyeball to eyeball, uh, you know, that kind of thing um, in terms of discipleship as opposed to the coloring sheet idea. You know, what we've, what we've learned. And I, I think about just my, I, I go to a real small church and we, we had a, uh, a virtual Awana with our four little kids that are in the group that I work with. And, um, you know, you know uh, to do discipleship really is so much better eye to eye because you can connect so much better. Um, what I learned virtually was the, the things that distract the kids when we're together are the same things that distract them when we're, <laughs> when we're on the computer, except for I can't reach out and stop them from running out of the room. Right. So, so um, a lot of the same challenges that I see were, were there. What, what I, what I am really excited about is to see the level of enthusiasm from leaders and they don't necessarily have the answers, but they're striving to get the answers. They're like, how do I do this? I tried this and it didn't work. I tried, uh, I tried zoom and it didn't work. Um, you know, I tried to do a phone call and it, and it didn't work. How, what can I do? You know, I think of the people that finally have said, how about you have your mom record uh, you interacting with this lesson or interacting with this verse or reciting a verse, whatever the lesson might be, um, and send that to me. And then when they get back on, uh, online with them, they're not trying to do busy work. They're interacting over it. They're saying, Hey, I saw yeah. you do that verse. That's cool. Tell me what, the, what you thought about that. Let me, let me help you understand what that means to me. You know? So that, I think that was, that was kind of a cool thing that I saw just the other day where they're engaging about what they did with their mom or dad. Uh, instead of trying to do the busy work of the coloring sheet <laughs> over the computer, you know? Yeah. Well, so to use the kids that you're managing in your uh, Awana club as an example, how are you striking that balance? Because you are, you are their leader, right? But to your point earlier, the, what we have always said as the parent is the primary spiritual influence. Yeah. That is so incredibly true now. So how are you as a, as a leader, finding those moments to effectively disciple versus effectively empower parents. And maybe, maybe they're not quite that separate, but how are you striking that balance? Yeah. Right now it's kind of like a bowl of stew, you know, it's just a little bit of everything cooked together. Um, and we've only been into this two weeks and, and, and frankly, we're, we're, we're encouraging parents more than we're doing discipleship over the computer just because we're trying to figure it out too. I mean, I do this zoom thing all the day, all the time, but it's with grownups and we're talking about certain things, you know, but to try to capture a kid's attention and focus them on a lesson that I really can't read because it's in their book, not the one in front of me. Uh, there's a lot of obstacles there, but, uh, but the, the enthusiasm they have is, is good to see. And the uh, appreciativeness of the parent that I'm, we're willing to at least engage, you know, that's huge. Um, uh, so I've been excited about that. So I, I'm on the learning journey just as much as everybody else, um, you know, in terms of how, how we do this with kids. Well, and I think that's an important level setting to happen because I think those folks who may read about you or have listened to this in the beginning may have this perception that 
you're like, oh, you know, this is crisis and this is what we do in crisis, <laughs> right? Yeah. That you, and you being able to admit that you are on whatever learning curve you are, mm-hmm. I think is really helpful because I think that people have this expectation of themselves that they are the only ones who haven't figured it out. Your willingness to admit where you are at. Um, one of the things that you said earlier that's really interesting to me too is it's about the amount of time that families now have together. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's a lot of things that God um, is probably up to in that time. But mm. for the person who's listening to this, who may feel like they're just trying to get to nap time. And then after nap time, they're just trying to get to snack time, <laughs> right? Who's not quite sure what to do with all that time. You know, what are some of the things that you feel like God may be, um, not in a prescriptive way, but in a descriptive sure. way, maybe giving us with all of this time. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, the best example that I can probably speak to is just just observing my, my grandkids from a distance. You know, they're in downtown Dallas. I'm outside of Dallas. We're 30 minutes apart, but we don't get to see each other for a while, you know. And uh, but but to watch the way that my that my daughter has helped those kids, um, they're all um, they're all in, in a different place. They're, of course, obviously different ages, nine to two. And, um, and she's just allowed each one of those to engage at their own level. One will be play, playing Batman for a while, while another one's doing coloring and while another one's doing this. But, um, but just to allow each of the kids to, to, to go down their own path and not feel like they had to get uh, into one big path that everybody's going to go on. Um, that was something I saw her do early on. And, and, and I, I really appreciated that, that she let each of the kids um, you know, they're, they're all on their own journey through this thing. And that was able to help her get from nap time to, uh, you know, to dinner time to, to bedtime, you know? And, uh, so, so that's, that's, that's been helpful. You know, I think, uh, one of the things I was thinking about is, is this idea of being a, a resilient disciple maker, right? Cause we're, we're trying to make resilient disciples, but we've got to be resilient disciple makers. And, and today, right now, the current learning curve I'm on is how, how do I engage my four kids on my four Awana kids online? How do I do that? That's the, but you know what? It, it was a different learning curve a year ago and it'll be a different learning curve in two years. You know, um, I remember not that many years ago we were trying to figure out what does ADHD mean again? And how, do, <laughs> how do I deal with that in my, in my church? You know, um, what, what is tomorrow's, um, coronavirus thing that we're going to have to learn about. I mean, we, we need to be, if we're going to build, make resilient disciples and be resilient disciple makers, um, we've got to be learning all the time. We've got to be adapting to, to the world in which our kids are growing up. And, um, and this is a current one that's going to, we'll, we'll all remember this and our kids that are, you know, five or older will remember the time they all got shut in. And so it'll be part of life going forward for this generation. But there will be other things for us as people who um, work with kids to, to figure out. And um, so we just have to be ready to, be, to have a posture that says, I'm, I'm a learner. I'm a, I'm a disciple-making learner. And I'm going to figure out how to deal with today's problem and then just expect that there's another problem coming up in, in the future. And that's what ministry is all about. Amen. Because I feel like people also have this expectation that although we can admit that this is a before and after kind of event, this is a cultural shifting event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the instant gratification world that we live in makes allows us to believe the lie that there is not an after this. Right. You know, in the sort of idea of what what's got up to. Yeah. I'm curious what you feel like are 
opportunities for churches, organizations, parents, leaders, et cetera, that whenever we get on the other side of this, what are some of the things that you're like, man, I hope we get this right. This experience has yeah. happened. What does this look like now? What are some things that you hope that we're really focused on whenever the new normal has arrived? You know, I think if, if I had to pick one, I would say if we could, if we could adjust the pace of our lives going forward, that would be probably the biggest uh, gift we could give to this generation to slow things down just a little bit. You know, you, you don't have to be on two soccer teams and, and on, you know, all that stuff. We just don't have to do that. And uh, unfortunately we've adopted that in church too. You know, we have, we, we, we keep them running at church just like we keep them running everywhere else. So if we can, if we can slow, just slow down enough to allow God a little, little opportunity in their lives, you know, a, a little, a little wonder time when you look at a leaf and wonder how in the world did that leaf ever get made that way. And, you know, just some of those things that we, we need a little bit of time to do. So I think that's, that's something that I, that I think would be really good. We you know what I worry though. I worry this could be like, um, like a nine 11 event where right afterwards it's, it, everything's heightened. We're thinking about it a lot. It's top of mind for all of us. And then a few weeks, a few months go by, a year goes by, and everything just kind of goes back to the craziness that it was before. And, and, and that's my prayer, at least especially for my family, is that, that we, we learn from this and don't just go back to like it was. Uh, that we can, we can take some of these good things that are happening right now, uh, and they're forced on us. They're not because we've chosen them. It's, they're forced on us, but, uh, but, but get a little pace and rhythm in our lives. Uh, leave a little room for God to have some, some, a chance to speak to us. So maybe we can be listening, you know? Uh, so that's, that's what I'm hoping for, for my family. And that's a little bit of what, about what I worry about for the future, that it would, we would just too quickly return uh, to the, the franticness that we had before. That's good. The, the, the rhythms and grace of Brazilian discipleship, yeah. I feel like is, yeah. is such an important conversation. I'm curious, you know, you said something earlier about being a cancer survivor. And like mm-hmm. I said, praise God for that. One of the things that is an interesting parallel for me is I feel like what my, my experience with interacting with other cancer survivors is it, it slows your life down. Oh, life yeah. becomes about one thing and you, you have to begin to operate at a slower pace. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Definitely. So I, yeah. So my question is, do you feel like the rest of us are getting that lesson uh, <laughs> that you began to learn? Right. Well, yeah, you know, I hope so. I hope so. You know, what, what I found was that my, my world um, and for my family, I, call, I say our, our world shrunk. You know, everything, the, the important things became very central in focus for me. And, uh, and granted, since, since my treatment's been over, that's broadened back out probably where it should be. But I think it is important just to, to narrow that down and say, what's really important in life and slow down some. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I hope that we're learning that. I think we are learning that in church. Um, I, I think that, I, I think that we're, 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 we're learning about what it is that makes a disciple. And it's not about, um, you know, the, the, the really cool rooms that have all the great, you know, TVs and sound stages and all that, those are great, but it's not what really makes a disciple, you know, uh, discipleship, you know, I, you know, I, some people talk about evangelism and discipleship. I, I think that's a false dichotomy. That's my, my opinion. I, 
I, I think of yeah. that as like where, uh, you know, when you're going to get on an airplane, you walk, you step over that area where that one inch that's um, not in the plane and not on the jetway, you know, that one step, that's the first step onto the plane, but you'd be an idiot to stay there, right? <laughs> um, and I think of that, that's what evangelism is. You know, you come to know Jesus. That's just the first step in discipleship. And then step two is you work your way through first class. I never stop there. I always keep, have to keep going. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, you, you, but that's discipleship is if we take that first step of evangelism and we say, yes, I, I, I believe Jesus. I believe what he did on the cross for me. And now I'm going to live like him. And, and that comes because people, resilient disciple makers, engage with those kids and engage with them and talk with them, not because of all the other stuff. The other stuff's a great tool to help us provide a good environment in which does that take place. But, um, but it's about the people. It's about the leader engaging with the kid. And I, and I think we're learning that in church. I mean, as people are sitting across a screen from a kid, they're, they're learning, you know, this is actually about me. I, I was on a call with a, a church. They were trying to figure out how are they going to do this? And um, one of the one of the moms that was one of the leader, church leaders, her sixth grader was was there with her. So she and she muted her microphone, which you know respectfully we do that sometimes. But she muted it to ask her sixth grader, "What would you like to see? What would you like to see in this online Awana? What would you like to see?" And she said, "You know what? I want to I want to I want to talk to my leader." That was her big thing. It wasn't about a game. It wasn't about a prize. It was about talking to her leader. So. That's a resilient disciple maker, whoever yeah. that young lady's leader is. So that's, I hope that's more of what we're learning. Amen. And I feel like it's, um, <laughs> I'll say this a little bit sarcastically, but not much, which is if we can't get it right after coronavirus, what, you know, we use the language of 2050. You yeah. know, if this isn't going to be a wake up call to the church, I'm deeply concerned about what will be. I'm curious what questions or sort of insights those your kids are having, like mm -hmm. the child that you mentioned, because if we are cultivating spaces of belonging to use that handle, yeah, and we're doing that online, it is so critically important that we are bringing the kids into that conversation, like the, like the leader that you just mentioned. But that looks different for a third grader right. than it does for a sixth grader. Right. Um, so what are some of the questions that you're even hearing from children yeah. Um, well, one of the things kids are asking is, is when can I talk to my friends? Um, so that, which points us to the, the real value of that belonging idea. Amen. Uh, Cause they, they want, yeah, they want to see their leader, but they want to see their friends too. Um, I've, uh, I've talked to not, not within the context of Awana, but other people where they're, they're having a quote play date by getting kids together on Google Hangouts and they just sort of talk. Uh, I heard, uh, you know, other ones of, of kids, you know, taking, uh, getting a, a game, they both own the similar game in their homes and they set it up and, okay, I'm moving my red piece to this, you know, and so they would be in doing virtual. So, so the, the idea of community, the idea of belonging is, is important to them. Um, uh, and, and I think to teenagers as well. Now, one, one that I heard, a question that I heard um, a, a friend, their, their child ask was, what happens if somebody dies from this? What if one of my friends dies from this? Oh my goodness. Can you, I mean, th those are big things, but I wonder how often they're rolling around in the heads of kids and we're not, we're not addressing it. Now I don't recommend everybody walk up and say, by the way, let me help you. If one of your <laughs> friends dies, that's not what I recommend, but, but, uh, but we need to be able, we need to be able to help, help kids through some of these hard, hard conversations. Uh, I know of one, one young lady who tends to be 
um, a, a little bit fearful. Well, she doesn't want to go outside and go for a walk um, because what might happen, you know? And so we need to be able to engage kids about that. that and what do we tell them, you know? Well, we tell them God loves you. Um, uh, God has this stuff in, under control. We're going to do everything we can, but at the end of the day, we trust God for everything. Not just now, but when we're all done, we trust God for everything too. So, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that I think we need to be, be talking about with kids. Um, yeah, and they are concerned about their stuff, you know, getting their work done and, and, and doing their church work and all that. But they're, they're more concerned about uh, the relationships that they have and knowing that everything's going to be okay, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, cause I think, um, Kristen Thompson introduced me to this phrase cause it's something that she really believes is true for her, but she said that children are her people group. <laughs> and what I liked about that was that it, it reflects this idea that I'm beginning to hear more and more often around Awana, which is for too long, we have created stuff for kids that is patronizing mm. or we've created a conversation that assumes that they have some junior level of the holy spirit right right and that is contrary to everything that god says um and we have to start acting like it and what i hear in your response is a lot of the ways for us to be able to engage in this work and to take advantage of this opportunity is by treating them like a people group by treating yeah. them brother and sister in christ yeah treating them as who have different questions not treating them as someone who has a junior version of whatever it is that we yeah need. yeah exactly it's it's almost like instead of instead of thinking about them as the church of the future we need to think about them as the church of today and deal and converse with them in the same way we would anybody else in the church today absolutely you know? and I think part of that is is being comfortable enough with ourselves and our walk with the Lord to say you know I haven't figured out this coronavirus thing either I'm scared too um, but here's what I do know about God. And here's what I've learned, because uh, I've been around a little longer than you. I've been I'm older than you. I understand a little bit more. So let me tell you what I've learned over the course of my life. And I think kids, kids, they want to hear that, but they, they, they appreciate the honesty of a simple, I don't know, sometimes, uh, you know, I think that's, I think we need to be ready to do that. Yeah, I, I, t I totally agree. I'm curious, you know, you, you've talked about this a few times about what is a potential concern for you in a moment like this. Mm -hmm. um, but you alluded to this, the, <laughs> of being around for a long time. So I've heard a lot of comparisons between the moment that we're in right now and September 11th mm -hmm. that, cause for me, you know, I'm 29. So that, that was my right. before and after moment for my generation. Right. I imagine you have much more nuanced comparison than some of the graphs that I've seen online between these two events. If this is that generation defining event, which everyone kind of suggests that it is. Mm -hmm. How are we as leaders meant to respond? Because one of the things that's so interesting to me about it is September 11th happened in an instant and the world was different. Right. This is something that we sort of saw coming, responded to in different ways as we came, as, as it came. But now we are globally impacted in such an intimate way. It's part of the insidious nature of the virus that... Mm -hmm. How are we as a church meant to respond to a crisis like this in comparison to previous crises of previous generations? Or wow. maybe a simpler way to ask this is, how are you responding to this compared to how did you respond to previous uh, crises? Yeah. Well, you know, I think the September 11th, I, I appreciate the way you, you mentioned that, that it's, 
it was it happened in an instant, right? The difference with this one is, I hope, and this I'm just saying for me, I had time to think about this. Mm-hmm. I had time to think about what's what do I from from my theology perspective, from from the God interacting with my life. I had time to think about this a little bit more than with with uh, 9-11. 9-11 is an emotional reaction, right? We we all reacted quickly with an emotion uh, that was that was horrible. This one, uh, it, it has taken long enough to get, I mean, we're, we're on lockdown at midnight tonight. So <laughs> we, we effectively, and where I live, go on lockdown tonight. So we've had time to think about it. And, and time, for me, it, it gave me time to think about um, God's, trying to get God's perspective on this, um, and that's where I, where I say God could stop this in a second. He, he could. Um, uh, so, so having thought about it more, I think I can learn more from this situation. I can apply a few more things to my life. How about just even something as simple as generosity? You know, I went and I went to, I'm a, I like to do gardening. And so I use those, those, you know, those gloves, nitro gloves, you know, that keep, keep hands clean. And, um, so I, I was running down to the store to make my last minute purchases and there wasn't a glove to be seen, but the sign said, uh, we're so sorry, but we've donated all of our gloves to local hospital. And that's oh, not no. a church. That's not a church. That's a, that's a business. That's those, they bought those gloves to make money. And just, there's this, there's a generosity that's happening among us, which is, that's super exciting to see. Um, you know, so, um, there's a lot of good that could come out of this. Um, but I think, for me, just I'm just saying for me personally, the fact that I could think about it more has helped me to frame my 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 disciple making thoughts, if if I can say it like that, um, so that I can respond with kids a little bit better. I think than than maybe I did with 9/11. I hope I didn't do too bad with 9/11, but you know this one I at least had a chance to think about. No, that that makes perfect sense because again, I feel like people, the two biggest pitfalls that happen around the coronavirus are folks who try to get all of the information and all of the facts mm-hmm. and therefore never wind up acting or as you alluded to people who react too emotionally in a previous episode of this uh, podcast i talked to mike candler about the church of 2050 mm-hmm. and in the book we use this language about this is a church uh, generation of people who have loved jesus for the rest of their life and i'm curious when you look at the coronavirus but even just 2050 generally mm-hmm. what do you feel like what God is up to, what God will do, that is going to be making his church in 2050. Yeah. Well, if we all had the answer to that, that'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I think, you know, in, when we look off into the future and we think about what the church ought to look like, um, we, we ought to set, set aside some of the barriers we have amongst ourselves. And, mm-hmm. I, and I see that happening right now. You know, we, we in America, we have, we have all kinds of barriers between groups, call them denominations, associations, gatherings, whatever you want to call them, whatever you want to label them. We've got a lot of those. And I think that the church of the future is probably going to have fewer. We're going to be just Christians who follow Jesus. Um, uh, and and I, I'm not saying that in a way that says that doctrine doesn't matter and all of that. We all know that. But, um, but we're, we're going we're gonna to not worry so much about the things that are small. We'll worry about the things that are big. Again, thinking about those, those, our brothers and sisters in China, they probably aren't worrying about some of the things we're worrying about because life's just a lot tougher, right? And I think in, in 2050, um, the church is going to have to be like that, partly because 
it's just going to be harder if culture continues to move the way it's moving. We've mm-hmm. got to be, if, if we're going to stand for Jesus, we've got to be able to stand tall. And we, uh, you know, I, I remember telling our kids, you know, growing up, uh, you know, so, sometimes you have to stand for what you believe and sometimes you have to stand alone, you know, which, which brings me back to the Hayden picture that, that we've seen from Valerie so many times in the story that she's told. Um, and um, I think that's what it's going to be like uh, for disciples in 2050. And hopefully the church is strong enough that we can, we can all have our place where we belong. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you on Thursday.